says, come, rivers of living water. He that believeth, Scripture has said. And before we do, I want to give you a, a parenthetical note from last week. Say this, we talked about praise, and we, at one point we talked about praise and worship. And I probably should have mentioned this, but sometimes, you know, the Lord takes you here and there and, you know, you're getting these things and you don't always say the things that you think later. says, I should have brought this out or I should have brought that out. But just one thing is that praise, if you have a desire to move into worship, God will draw you. And you may or may not be able to, to make it into worship at a particular time. But remember... That does not mean that you should not praise him. Because I believe praise is one of the avenues that God uses or the road he uses to, to draw us into worship. But I brought out what I brought out last week to show you the difference between worship and praise. So that when, when things are going on in the service and, and you know what's going on with you and your heart and your relationship and you... Uh, or being drawn into worship, or you, you, you sense the Lord drawing you, you can be aware that there may be things going on that are in the realm of praise, and if you're focusing on that, it may be more difficult to draw you into worship. But don't even be concerned about it. Don't be thinking about it. Just, you know, praise the Lord and allow Him to do what He's going to do. Okay? All righty. Now, tonight is going to be a very, very different class. This class is going to be basically in outline form. I don't know how else to do this other than put this up on an overhead, an overlay, and, and show you this and lay it out and go to the scriptures and, and point this out. There are certain things in the book of Re Revelation that are just a mystery. And I have read the book of Revelation before, and in studying this is my first time in looking at this. Uh, it seems as though there are things that I have been taught, not here, but heard, especially as a young Christian. And it tends to give you a certain view and a certain mindset, and that puts you in a certain way of believing. And I'll, I'll look at this later. And I wanted to approach the book of Revelation as an entirely new study for me. A lot of it is. There's a lot of things here that I have never really looked at. I have studied and taught certain chapters of Revelation or parts of chapters. Ta taught other books and related it to certain verses in Revelation. But I have never taught the entire book. So this is new waters for me, so to speak. And so I've been asking the Lord to really show me some things because when you get in the middle chapters of this book, it's like there's so much going on. You just shake your head and it's like, what does this mean? What is really happening here? And you really can't get a feel or a, an idea. You can see certain things moving. Uh, you see the judgment of God and, and what have you. But how, how is this all going to fall into place? Now, I don't contend to know what it all is going on in the book of Revelation. 
I know very little, and the more I look at certain things, the less I think I know, and I say, Lord, maybe I shouldn't even be teaching this. But the Lord has put me here. The Lord has given me this class to teach, and I'll teach what I see. And this class this evening, I think, is one of the most important classes for understanding all the middle chapters of Revelation. When you begin at verse, now we finished last week, we went through chapter 4 and chapter 5. When you go from chapter 6 through 16, there's so much going on uh, with the vials, the trumpets, and the seals, and, and it's hard to really make any sense of it. I don't know, maybe you can understand it all. I don't. So this class, as I said, will be an outline form, and I'll put this up here on the overhead, and then we're going to start to look at some of these things. I want to show you that there are, I, I, I see, I believe that there are parallel chapters in the book of Revelation. And you'll see some variations between some of the verses. Some of the verses add something. Some, some of the verses leave out something. But if you look at it as a parallel chapter, you'll begin to see some things. And it's not that they have to match up completely, but you will start to see certain things mentioned in this chapter and other things mentioned in this chapter, and they both connect. So we're going to start with this tonight and look at this. Can you all see that? Now, as you see here on the overlay, the parallel chapters are broken down into two groups. Now, I never have heard of anyone teaching this. I have never heard of the difference between great tribulation and the wrath of God. But when you begin to see the two and, and look at them, you will see a difference. Now, you can do one of two things. I either put a marker in chapter 8 and chapter 16, King James. If you have any other translations, put it down. There's a King James Bible in the front here. Or you can get two King James. Pull them out. Get ready. You all ready? Pull them out. You can use two of them. Put one at chapter 8 and one at chapter 16 because those are the, the two chapters that I want to, to go to all those scriptures up there and show you beyond a shadow of a doubt as far as I'm concerned that these are parallel chapters and they're basically dealing with the same issue, not necessarily identical scriptures, but they're, they're dealing with the wrath of God. The other two chapters, well actually it's more, you can see... Uh, on the top there where it says Great Tribulation, Revelation 6, you see the seven seals. And the seven seals, all that unfolds. I put chapter 6, but you can see it in chapter 6, chapter 7, and then the last seal is in chapter 8. Now remember, in the original language, there's no chapter divisions. We have chapter divisions, and if you notice that, when you were reading the book, you see the trumpets, and then you, you don't see the last thing. It's in another chapter, or the seal, like we're looking at here. And then you have the seven personages in chapter 12 and 13, and we're not going to go through that. I have a flip chart for those. 
But we're not going to look at that tonight, I don't believe, unless we have time. We may look at that next week. But you have, as I said, under Revelation chapter 6, you have the seven seals. And what, what you see in there are three things. You see the remnant of Israel sealed in verse 3 of chapter 7. Okay, let's, let's just read that. Saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in, our for, in their foreheads. So you see those sealed there. Now, whenever you go to chapter 14, as seen up there in the chart, chapter 14, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on, on Mount Sinai, or Sion, uh, and with him 144,000 having their father's name written in their forehead. So there you have this, this seal, the remnant of Israel sealed. Okay, and, and both of those things come before the wrath of God. That's why I have that note up there, before the wrath comes. Okay, because we're dealing with two different things here in these chapters. Great tribulation that's going to be on the entire earth. And the second thing is the wrath of God, different things. And then you have uh, the two notes in chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. You see, see wrath in there mentioned. And then the warning that wrath is coming, you see in 14, verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in their, their forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So you see here, he's, he's saying um, about the image of the beast and so on, talking about something before that, which would be great tribulation. And then he says something different, talking about the wrath of God that's going to come and you see that in chapter 16. You catching this? Is this easier for you do, for me doing it like this? Okay. Then you have in chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, and verses 15 through 17, the blessed state of believers. It talks about the believers and, and where they are. And then you see also in chapter 14, verse 13, now, I hope I have all the scriptures correct. Verse 13 says, And I heard the voice of heaven saying unto me, the voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. So he's talking about a different state that they're in at that point. Okay, now, what I want to do is we're going to begin in a few minutes looking at the seven trumpets and comparing them to the seven vials. Now, one of the main, you can write this down, one of the main differences between great tribulation and the wrath of God is this, that tri tribulation is mainly satanic in origin, but the wrath of God has a godly origin. There's the main differences there. When you look at the world today and you see the world system, everything in the world seems to be getting worse, 
they seem to want to exercise more and more and more control over man through their, their money, the, the cashless society that we're moving toward. All these different things you see uh, as a controlling factor. The man of sin, when he appears, he's going to be able to take over the entire world system. It has to be in a manageable state. That's why he could never come. You didn't have the communications. You didn't have the world. We're, we're headed for a world currency. Do you know that? I have heard stories, and I don't want to get too far away here, but I've heard that there's already a, a marrow like the euro. Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Now, I don't know if it's true. I, I saw a picture of one, but you don't know sometimes on the Internet if what you're seeing is true or not. But it wouldn't surprise me. It, it, it's falling in line with what the book of Revelation teaches and what the Lord says will come in the end as we move closer to that point. And some of you that are older can see a big difference in society over the last 50 years or 40 years. Even the last 20 years, you can see a, a difference in this country. And that, that also means worldwide. There, things are changing. And you hear this over the last 15 years, the, the word globalized, globalization. You never heard that years ago, ever. A world economy. You never heard that stuff. Now you, you can't hardly turn on the news and somewhere hear about, you know, a world, this world order, all this stuff. Why? Why is that? Because when the man of sin the beast, the Antichrist, when he comes forth, there has to be some system set up to exercise control over man in every single way. And I'm, I'm sure there will be those who aren't willing, and, and they will be forced. And maybe we'll, we'll look at that, I don't know. But anyway, you have control over man by actually the elite rich. Those that have the money are moving all this down along society, not just this society, but societies in the world, in order to bring about control of the masses. And um, then you know about the mark, and you know about the Antichrist, and you can see in the world that evil is increasing in every area. It's just not, uh, we haven't lived, uh, you know, 200 years ago. There was evil then. Yes, there was. But not only there is there an explosion of knowledge, there's also evil is, is gaining more and more and more ground. So God is involved, as you know, in judgment. But see, he's not involved in creating an evil society and an evil world system to keep men in bondage and corruption. He, he's not involved in that. Now, he is allowing that because there's a purpose behind it all. But see, he's not directly involved in, in that. The world system is moving the way it is so that when the Antichrist comes on the scene, that he will be able to control everything. Now, there are those who teach and believe that there is no Antichrist because in, in John... It mentions that in the plural, that many antichrists shall come. But it also says before that it mentions antichrist. So I, I don't like to 
look at a lot of things like that because one of the things that I have found in the years I've been a Christian is you see something, you believe something, maybe that you hear, and you find out later on when you start to actually go in and study that there's not a whole lot of foundation for what they've been saying. So I kind of like to tread softly in some of these areas and leave a lot of room for the Lord to show me something different. Okay, so the wrath of God, the difference again between a tribulation and wrath. Wrath is God's, or God brings his judgment through the seven trumpets and through the seven seals. Now, I want to go through, in particular, those on the bottom and show you these because I, I, I don't know, I think it's, once you see this, it's very easy to, to pick this out. So, in chapter 8, verse 7. Okay, verse 1 says, And when he had opened the seventh seal. So, the seventh seal, seal still deals with uh, great tribulation. Now he's going to move down in verse 2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given, given seven trumpets. Now down in verse 7, now we're going to start the comparison here. And the first angel sounded, this is the trumpets, and, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. So here is a, a judgment uh, God's wrath here through the first trumpet on the earth, verse 7. Now look in chapter 16, verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vows of the, of the wrath of God upon the earth. So you see here the earth mentioned again, just like it was in 8-7. And the first went and poured out his vow upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which wor worshipped his image. So you see the parallel there between the first trumpet and the first seal. Now go back to chapter 8, verse 8. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. So there you see it was this judgment here was upon the sea. And I have heard, as we go through these, maybe you have heard someone speak on the, that particular verse. Now I've heard someone teach on that verse and say that that's a meteor that comes out of the sky and hits the sea. Now I don't know. I mean, God's capable of taking a star and throwing it in the sea, of course. But irregardless of how that happens, the bottom line is that it's a judgment, a trumpet judgment upon the sea. In 16.3, And the second angel poured out his vow upon the sea, and it became as the blood of, the dead, of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. So once again, you see this comparison, this parallel. Uh, this vial was poured out on the sea. Now remember that God has been very, very long-suffering with man. Now we only see our short life upon the earth. God sees the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years that man has gone his own way, that man has sinned, 
And there is just, as you, as a Christian, should be progressing in God and moving forward in God, there are those who are progressing and moving backward, if you want to say it that way, in sin, in greater darkness and greater darkness. And you can see this and get a picture of this in Revelation where God judges and he does these things. And it says, I don't know what, what chapter, it says that even though the Lord did this, they did not repent, but they blasphemed his name. So the evil and the evil heart in men is getting worse and will continue in, in many people to get worse and worse, culminating with judgment. Now, we may discuss this another time, but God is the one who decides when enough is enough. And he intervenes when he feels the time is to intervene. And because of, of where men are, they have the, the chance to repent. And there's a scripture here that says that the, an angel is sent forth to preach the everlasting gospel to those that are on the earth during this time. So that means that even then they have an opportunity. But men reject, just like they do today, and even though the opportunity is given, it's out there, they will not take hold of that. They rather do their own thing, go their own way, live their own life, make their own decisions, and have their own beliefs. But God's going to intervene and say, okay, enough is enough, and no longer will things continue the way they are. People will want to say, why doesn't God just leave us alone to live our lives? It's not going to happen. When he starts to open these things up, it's going to go one thing after the other, after the other, and it's going to be a very, very bad time to live in. So I would rather walk with God. I don't know about you. And I'll, I want to interject a few more things here before we continue. We have to be determined as Christians that we're going to walk with God. You know, like the saying, come hell or high water? Well, hell or high water may be coming. And I don't say that lightly. But the reality of the fact is that it points to this in the Bible, and society is pointing toward this. And not only that, the world system is pointing to, to this, to a, a, an, an epic, a, a culmination of all this. And so regardless of how things play out, we need to be in a place with God where we say, okay, God, if it means... I have to starve and die, I die. Like Esther, what did Esther say? If I perish, I perish. And we better keep that on our lips and mean it in our hearts because I don't know. I mean, this may not occur for many, many years. We all may be dead. But then again, I don't want to make any assumptions. I'm not making an assumption that I'm going to be dead when some of these things occur. Talking, not talking about the wrath of God, but the tribulation that's going to be across the world. I would much rather walk with God and receive from him. And I don't know, I, a friend of mine, I, him and I have said this many times, that you know, you're in the world here and you experience all these different difficulties and problems throughout your life. And if any of you have experienced some real difficulties, you get to the point sometime where you say, well, I've had enough of this world. I'm ready to go. And I know that I would like to stay for the sake of others. But 
I have this in my heart that I've had enough of this world. The world has nothing to offer me, you know? I mean, even the pleasures. The pleasures are good. But we have something so much better than this waiting for us on the other side. That we can't get so locked into this here that if things don't go the way we think, things don't go the way somebody taught they should go, you know, that that's going to upset us and trip us up and we're not going to, to stand firm unto the end. So there is to be in us a certain mindset. Like Esther, if I perish, I perish. If that's what it's going to be, it's going to be. However, if they want to come and kill me, kill me. If they want to throw me in prison, throw me in prison, then kill me. <laughs> Rather get it over than suffer, you know. <laughs> but, you know, we don't have the choice. Are you you're getting this, I hope? We have to be determined. And there are a lot of Christians that aren't determined. They really aren't. Okay, 8, 10. Which one did we just do? The C? Okay, 8, 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the, the fountains of, of waters. In 16, 4... And the third angel poured out his vow upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. So you're seeing the parallel here. Now, there may have been other translations that actually spell this out even closer than the King James. I don't know, because I didn't have time to, in, in just you know the little bit of time I had to prepare, to go and check three or four other translations uh, for each one of these to see if they match up closer. But irregardless, it's very plain to see some of these things. That It seems to me, anyway, that there is definitely a parallel, and these two chapters are dealing specifically with the wrath of God, of which you as a Christian will not experience. And we'll, we'll get to that. Eight... Well, let's read verse, um, I wanted to read this too, 8, 11. 8, 10 was the third angel sounding, and it says, And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and that means, Wormwood is a bitter herb, by the way, it's a very, very bitter herb. They, it's, it's a medicinal, actually, herb. But the point is that the waters became bitter, that it could, they could not be you know, consumed. They can't drink it. Okay, 8, 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So there you see the sun, the moon, and the stars. In 16.8, and the fourth angel poured out his vow upon the sun, and so on. So there you see again, the, the, the wrath of God there is in the vial there is poured out on the sun. Okay, now in 9.2. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as a smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened. Now, there's another scripture here in 8.12 that mentions uh, a, third, a third part of them is darkened. But this one here deals with the, the fifth uh, trumpet, where it talks about the sun and that, that were darkened. In 16.10... 
And the fifth angel poured out his vow upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. So there again you see this darkness uh, involved here. In 9.14, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the river, great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. So what I wanted to show you here oh, in verse 16, and the number of the army of the horsemen. So in 9.14 and verse 16, you see this Euphrates army here. Now when you go to 16.12, And the sixth angel poured out his vow upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So there you have the Euphrates kings. And then in chapter 11, still moving along here with the trumpets, verse 15, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world are, are become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Uh, verse 18. And the nations were angry. That's what I want to show you. And thy wrath is come. In 1617. And the seventh angel poured out his vow into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was an earth, great earthquake, such as was not since man were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided, speaking, I believe, of Jerusalem, was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. So there's the parallel there, talking about the nations in 11.18 and the nations in 16.19. So in those verses here, can you see the parallel? So now, when you go back, and I want you to go back and read all these chapters again, put this in front of you. Did you, you all wrote this down. Put this in front of you as you go along and you will begin to see this. I hope. Now, next week, I think we're going to just touch on the seven seals and the seven personages. You've probably never heard of the seven personages, have you? Never have. Okay. That's what it's called. Okay, so I wanted to go through this to show you the parallel between chapter 6, dealing with the Great Tribulation, the seven seals, and then chapter 12, 13, and actually... Uh, 14, dealing with the Great Tribulation and the seven personages. And you can see, even with those, that there is a parallel dealing with Tribulation. Now, I put a note up there. Let me see. Right above the, the second column here, that which is repeated with some variation. And we read that. You can see the main points brought down here with the, the wrath of God in both columns. And you'll see similarities. You'll see even the same words mentioned. But there is some variation. Because as you know in Scripture, you, you compare one Scripture with another Scripture, and you get something out of another Scripture to add to this one. And I believe that's what's going on here. 
I don't know how John had to sit down and, and write this, you know, and how can you make all of this together? I don't know. So whatever. He just followed the Lord. Now, what I wanted to show you, the, there is in Revelation here, as I said, if, if we're going to see this and believe that there is great tribulation and then, then it moves down along to the wrath of God, there is something significant that I, I see here that breaks the two. And there is a pause in the scripture between both of those. And I want to go look at this. Revelation 8. Are you still following me with this? Okay, any questions to this point? Don't ask me who the Antichrist. Nothing, none of questions like that. <laughs> I mean, questions related to this. <laughs> okay. Now, between, we're going to deal with the first column there, where you have Great Tribulation, Revelation 6, the seven seals, the remnant, the wrath, uh, the state of believers, all that, coming down to the, the wrath of God, chapter 8. Now, if you see here, chapter 7 has this area where it talks uh, about believers, verse 9, 10, and 15 through 17. Now, when you come down to the end of chapter 7, now in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. So there is a pause, a silence. And, and I believe that the pause or the silence is to show us that there is something else now that's going to happen. Something prior to this has taken place. Great tribulation. Now there's pause, there's silence. And now the wrath of God is going to begin. That's, I believe that's why that's in there. Okay. Now, second column, you have once again uh, the seven personages in chapter 14, the, the warning of wrath we, that we read before, then also talks about, very briefly, the state of believers. Now, in chapter 14, the end of chapter 14, let's turn there. Okay, now, whenever you come to verse, I thought I put this, wrote this down. Okay, let's just look at verse 1 here. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. This is chapter 15, verse 1. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw it now. I believe that the whole of the chapter 15 is this, I don't know what you want to call it, this pause like we saw before. And he's moving into other things. He's saying other things. And then when you come to chapter 16, verse 1, then you see right, right away the first vial is opened. So in verse 2 of chapter 15, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the, nu the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. So, so there are those there that actually got victory over the beast. In verse 7, And one of the four beasts gave unto me, oh, excuse me, 
And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And his temple was filled with smoke and so on. So there is an intermediate thing here, or I'll say a pause between, once again, the great tribulation, that, that period of time, and now begins the wrath of God in chapter 16, verse 1. So those two things there, the pause in 8, 1 and 2, and the pause in chapter 15, are to show us that there is a break between the, the tribulation that we're seeing in the book and the wrath of God that's about to begin. is a transition, if you would, a division between the, the, the tribulation and the wrath. Now, I had thought about this, and one of the things that came to my mind, I was actually reading some things, been looking at a lot of different sources, and this is actually seen in Matthew 24. Let's turn to Matthew 24. Look at verse 21. For then, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So that period of time is going to be quite demanding. It's going to be a time that is worse, as Jesus said, than any time before. Now, a lot of things, you know, evil things have gone on in the past. I don't know. Some situations in some countries with, you know, armies and, you know, all that, that to conquer the people and kill the people... But I, I don't know if Jesus is meaning it's going to be worse because it's going to be a worldwide thing or just the intensity of that, which is prob both I, prob I think are true, probably true. The intensity of that upon an individual is going to be worse than has ex people have experienced probably ever before. <laughs> oh, joy, huh? <laughs> Stay with me. I don't know what it's going to be. I, I just, I'm just reading it. It says, such as was not since the beginning of the world. There's going to be great tribulation. And the word, I didn't look this up, but the word tribulation in many places means pressure. And the pressure, again, is going to be because of the world system, because of the evil that is in the world system, and because of those who are in control of the world system, the ten horns or crowns or whatever, and the man of sin, the, the, you know, the Antichrist, putting pressure upon all those that are under him. Pressure, what, what kind of pressure is that going to be? What kind of pressure is the Antichrist going to exercise? Any thoughts? Well, one of the pressures is going to be the mark. No man could buy or sell except he that receives the mark. Now, let's just speculate for a minute. Can we allowed to speculate? Let's say they came out tomorrow and they said everybody has to receive this mark. 
And we clearly know that that mark is the mark of the beast. Well, now comes decision time, doesn't it? Now we are either going to say, okay, we're going to receive it, or I'll receive it so everybody else, I can get food for everybody, because it says you can't buy or sell except those that have the mark. Well, I'll be the martyr and I'll get the mark so I can feed it. No, the Bible specifically says you, you cannot receive that mark. So now comes this great pressure on those that are there, whoever they are. Now, it's getting back to this right here, this pause. So in verse 21, it talks about great tribulation. And then down in verse 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. Where did we read that? Where did we just read that? Can you see it up there? Under the wrath of God? Dealing with the trumpets and with the vials? 8.12 and 8. Or 16, 8. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of earth, uh, the powers of heaven shall be shaken. So he's talking about, in verse 29 here, the wrath of God. So once again, you see before that tribulation and then when you come down in this chapter, Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay, there's, a, there's going to be a transition now from the tribulation of those days, whatever took place there, and now the transition goes on now to the wrath of God that we saw in these two chapters. So, so I think that the pause is here, also in those two um, spots between uh, tribulation and wrath in those chapters. And in verse 31, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of, of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect. Now, who's the elect? The elect, those who are saved. From the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, not the earth, from heaven. And I looked the word up, and it means heaven. It means, you know, above the sky, above the sky, whatever. So in this particular Scripture, verse 31, in the wrath of God, you do not see the elect. You don't see the saints. See, they're already gone. They're already out of here. So that's why I said before, all this here that takes place under the wrath of God, we will not experience. Now, here's, here's the argument that I hear. Will God's people go through the great, you know, the great tribulation, as they say it uh, in Revelation? And this is a verse. Look in 1 Thessalonians. The argument is this. God will not allow his people to go through uh, tribulation. He will not allow them to go through his great wrath. Okay? And one of the scriptures that they use, and I'm going to show you a couple other ones. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's very clear there. It doesn't say God does not appoint us unto wrath. But unless you have this in your, in your thinking, you're, you're thinking that no matter what goes on, you know, everything that goes on during tribulation, it's all the same. 
and God has not appointed us unto wrath. But remember this, we are not appointed unto wrath as far as the wrath of God, but we may experience the wrath of man. And you see the Bible full of it, full of it, where believers experienced the wrath of man. But you won't experience the wrath of God, and that's going to be 100 times worse, 1,000 times worse, if not more. I don't know. It's going to be a lot, lot worse. The most that man can do to us is kill us. That's the very most. That's it. And you say, well, what more is there? There is a lot more. There's more than this physical body. We're, we're headed for the grave anyway. You know that. Some of us who are older, we're closer. And, you know, you can get cancer. You can have a heart attack and die in a month. And it's done. So we will not experience the wrath of God. We won't have to worry about that. The wrath of man, that's different. Whatever happens, happens. That's why I said you need to be steadfast in, in your thinking. And if you have to you know, let go of this life, we'll let go of it. That's, it's just, we have to decide that. Not wait till it comes and then say, hmm, what should I do, Lord? We know what we should do. Romans 5, I'll read this from the NIV, verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So once again, you're not going to experience God's wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So remember that the whole area in the Bible dealing with tribulation or in Revelation, it's called, it's actually called Great Tribulation in Matthew and in Revelation. That is much different than the wrath of God, as I see it. It's something different. We're not appointed unto the wrath of God, but we may experience the wrath of man. Now, in chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, before we, before we read that, let's, no, we'll just look at that, 7-9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hand. Uh, verse 14, and I said unto him, the angel, Sir, thou knowest, and he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. So those there, standing there. Remember, this is in chapter 7. This is before chapter 8 where we're seeing the wrath of God. He said, those came out from great tribulation. And then in 14, look at 14.6. Now I'm going somewhere with this. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So you see this here. Now, I mean, this, the people that we see here in certain spots of revelation could be those, or some of them could be those who respond to the gospel here somewhere, you know, during this time. And then 
in Matthew, hold your place in Revelation, in Matthew 24, now I told you this class was going to be in like an outline form, looking at a lot of scriptures. Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And we always relate that to now, the gospel being preached to all areas of the world before the end comes, but it might not be referring to that. It may be referring to the time close to the, the or, or during the, the tribulation, I don't know. Or it could be referring to both. Because it goes on and it says, um, many false prophets shall arise, and, and, um, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Is the church on earth, is it going to be on earth during the great, the great tribulation? Is a good question. Anybody have the answer? <laughs> okay, let's look at a couple of verses. Just hold your place there, Matthew. I might come back there. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. Now, I, I don't have the answers to, to these questions. I'll give you some scriptures. I think, in my way of looking at this, I've looked at, I've looked at it like this for years, because you always hear this pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture you know, post-tribulation rapture, whatever, ever rapture. I mean, so many different views. And usually people pick the view that satisfies them the most. <laughs> so if I don't want to go through any problems, I'll be more apt to, you know, I, I want things to sound positive in my life. As a Christian, the gospel's positive. Yeah, it's pretty positive. But it's not the positive that you might want to hear. And so I might be more apt to think, well, it's pre-tribulation rapture because we're not appointed unto wrath. So that's why I say that. But that may or may not be true. Second Thessalonians, I guess some of you are thinking, but why did I ever come to this Revelation class? <laughs> oh, well. Hey, can I say? Second Thessalonians 2. Let's look at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except, there's two exceptions here. It's not going to come except there come a falling away first. Now hold your place there and go back to Matthew 24. It says, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Well, we know that. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that, in, but he that endureth shall endure unto the end, to the end. Or he that is enduring, that's a participle, I think, to the end. Now, if a person believes that they are going to, to be raptured before any tribulation, if that's their thinking, I mean, they believe that more than they believe anything else that they know because of maybe what they learned, what they, they read, what they're taught. If they hold on to that thinking, and if they have to go through persecution, 
some of the different things that we'll see uh, next week with the four horsemen of the apocalypse dealing with tribulation and they start seeing things transpire in the world and they're saying well this just isn't right I believe we're supposed to be raptured and the Bible talks about a great falling away I didn't write it down but I know it's I don't know where it is maybe in Thessalonians is it in chapter four I'm not sure but it talks about this great falling away what would cause a lot of believers immediately to fall away if I believe and I am cemented into certain things, certain beliefs, and I believe that more than anything else, only to find out that that which I believe was incorrect, and if I don't have the heart now to look to God, I can just forget it. This isn't worth it. It's not what I thought. I can make any kind of comment or excuse I want and say, I'm, I'm going the other way now. And there very well may be, if there's a persecution worldwide, may be one of the things that cause a great falling away. Now, I don't know that for sure, but that's the scriptures that came to me whenever I was preparing this lesson. And that's why I say that regardless of when the Lord comes, if he's coming in our lifetime, prepare for the worst. Draw close to God now. Get in a church where you know it's being preached. And I'm not talking about pre-mid, or I'm talking about the preparation in your heart and life, the foundation being laid and built, so that regardless of what comes, whether I understand it or I don't, that I'm ready to, to lay this life down, regardless of what's going on. It's not, you know, my faith is in you, Lord, and if things don't turn out the way I think in, in this world, if I think it should be a rapture before any tribulation, and it doesn't occur, it doesn't phase me. See, I have never made up my mind either way, pre, mid, or post-tribulation. I have never even studied this 70th week of Daniel thing. I mean, I know what they teach, but I want to get in and study it. So it's going to happen when the Father wants it to happen. And I need to be here and endure what I need to endure, whatever that is. Lord, help us and strengthen us, and I believe he will. If you're determined, he'll take you through. So there's going to be a great falling away. So back in Thessalonians, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a, a falling away first. There it is right in the verse. I was looking for it. <laughs> oh, boy. Silly me. And that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So there, there were two things there that <clears throat> will take place, that there would be a great falling away and that the man of sin will be revealed. Now, another thing, look in Revelation 13. Now, I don't think it's going to be revealed to people in the world. Now, if, if he's talking about that his coming, the two things, except to be falling away and that the man of sin should be revealed... I don't think the man of sin is going to be revealed to those in the world. Because if he would be revealed to those in the world, then why would they accept his mark? I mean, some would, but the majority of them wouldn't if they knew, I would think. So who's it going to be revealed to? I would think those that are attuned to the Lord, 
and know what's you know, going on, that are walking with him. He's going to reveal the man of sin. They'll know who he is. Not before, like you always hear for years, you hear, oh, this person's the Antichrist. They're coming from Europe and all this stuff. I just like, oh, my gosh. Just, I just wade through it, just push it aside. I listen to it and push it aside. Because I don't know, I don't understand, but I believe that when the time comes, there's going to be a revelation. God's going to take the lid off the pot, so to speak, and we're going to see what's in it, and it's going to be the man of sin. And I say we, I mean whoever, you know, whoever's alive at that time, Christians, whoever. Um, but in Revelation 13, now where does that fall here? Up there in the chart. Revelation 13, where does that fall up there? During great tribulation. Now listen. And I saw, verse 3, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wonder af wondered after the beast. So he's going to somehow receive a mortal injury, mortal wound to his head, and that's going to be miraculously healed. Probably something that should have killed him will be healed, and the world's going to, it's going to astonish the world. So whatever, you know, if this is a literal thing, which I believe it is, it's going to really take the world back. Wow, this must be the one, you know, that all the religions point to, all the world religions, to God, God, God's coming to earth. There he is, and the beast. They probably won't call him the beast. I don't know if they'll call him the beast, whatever they call him. So here you have this in this setting here of, of great tribulation. Now, in Revelation 13, Look at verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with, with who? With who? What are they doing there? Wow. Mm. And to overcome them. Oh boy, we don't like that. I don't like it either. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So here the saints or the church is seen. Verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith, faith of the saints. <laughs> wow. Verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, who you think would not worship the image of the beast? It seems like he's talking still about the saints. The people that want this life and hold on to this life and will do anything to preserve their finances, their home, their family, themselves, will not be able to release that. They won't even want to, most of them. But who is going to not worship the image of the beast? Who, who can tell me where we see something similar to this in the Bible? Daniel. Worship. Was it the statue of Nebuchadnezzar? The image of Nebuchadnezzar? Bow down and worship. And who didn't do that? The saints. Not the non-believers. They were all on their knees. The saints were the only ones that didn't. And they had to experience the wrath of man. Now, God preserved them and delivered them. But that's not always the case. Most of the time, it's not the case. 
in most instances, you, you hear these stories in other places in the world where Christians are killed. So now I'm not trying to paint a bleak picture here. I'm just trying to, to bring out the truth that's here in this book so that we are sober and we live and walk our lives as Christians in a sober manner, knowing that this is no joke. Things could turn for us that quick in this country, very quick. And I know we have Bill of Rights, and I'm going to tell you, they can overlook that, and they, they trample on a lot of laws now, you know. And they can overlook one area of discrimination. Don't discriminate against this person, that person, that person. But over here, they'll ignore. Well, you can, you can persecute the Christians. That's okay. They won't say that, but they'll let it go. So things can change for us very quickly. And in this new world order that they're trying to, to bring about, they are trying to, and our current president is trying to give the United Nations supreme rule. Now, if he gives United Nations supreme rule, including this country, then our Constitution is meaningless because it's subservient to the, the, other, the will of the nations. They used to call it the League of Nations, by the way, years ago. Remember that? Things can change. Don't think that it can't change. I mean, it, it can change very quickly. So that's why I'm saying if... If it comes to the point where we have to say it's, it's over, it's done as far as I'm concerned, we have to be willing to do that. And that's something between each one of us and the Lord. Chapter 6. Now, where's chapter 6 up here? I'm going to keep asking this because I want, to, I want to get this in your minds, in your hearts. huh? It's under tribulation. Chapter 6, verse 10. And they cry with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now this, verse 9 says, And when he had opened the, the uh, fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So it's two things. They were slain for the word of God and their testimony. The word of God is in you, and God's given you a testimony. Um, verse 10, How long, O Lord, uh, will you not avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So it seems to me that there are still saints during this time of tribulation, part of that time, that are going to be killed and go with those here, uh, the souls of those who were slain for the word of God and their, their testimony. God says, you just be patient. You know, there are those that have to be killed. The fellow servants and their brethren that should be killed as they were. Chapter 15. And where does that fall up here? Okay. Chapter 15 is before the wrath of God. Verse 2, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, who knows what that is? And them, it's not going to be anything evil, that's for sure. It's not, you know, like hellfire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number 
of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now, here you have those that experienced something prior to this, which is great tribulation. They, they experienced that, and now you see them here in this position before the wrath begins in, in chapter 16. And they sung, verse 3, and they, uh, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Chapter 18. Now just, we'll just move back here for a minute. Chapter 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come up out of her, my people. <laughs> my people. That ye be not partakers of her sin, and that ye receive not of her plagues. So either the rapture didn't occur here somewhere, or this group was converted after the rapture. I don't know. I have no idea. I haven't gotten back to chapter 18 yet, <laughs> so I don't know. But I just wanted to show you that there. Uh, and then in 14.6, uh, 14 is during this time of tribulation. 14.6, it's that verse we read before that the angel goes forth to preach the everlasting gospel. And then a call of repentance is given. Look at this in chapter 9. Now, remember, I, I believe this is all taking place, this preaching of this gospel, and then the call for repentance is all taking place before the people receive the mark of the beast. So, you know, that, that's all prior to that. Because once they receive the mark, their, their fate is sealed, it, it seems to me, anyway. Revelation 9, verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, uh, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and so on. So it says here that yet they repented not, to me, seems to end, indicate that they possibly could have. They could have possibly repented. Okay, in 16, because this is mentioned again about repenting. Now, whether this could possibly be just a figure of speech and not mean true repentance, I don't know. Maybe the Lord is saying that they just didn't change their mind about me, not that they had the opportunity to repent. I, I don't know. I'm just pointing these out. I'm not sure. I, I hate to teach like this and not be sure of a lot of different things, but it's just I don't know. I'll be willing to tell you I, I don't know. 16.9, and the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the, of the beast, and so on. Where is it here? Oh, yeah, verse 11. And blasphemed the, the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. So they didn't change their mind about what they did. So in that verse, it doesn't seem as though it's actually saying that repentance and salvation is offered. Now, in 16.7, And I heard an, another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Now, this comes from those with a heavenly perspective. See, do we as Christians have 
a heavenly perspective. If we do, we will see in the midst of all this, all the wrath, all that goes on, that true and righteous are thy judgments. But if we have a worldly perspective, we will disagree with what God does, and in particular, the judgments he's pouring out here in Revelation, because we don't see as he sees. We don't understand and know and actually view how evil men have gotten. We're going to look in another class dealing with uh, the world system. I want to show you some things from the Bible related to that. And God has been watching this thing since Genesis. And now it has gained tremendous momentum. And with the advent of the computer, it really has helped things to even, uh, I think, to, to progress in certain areas. Technology, control, all that is possible now in this time, in this age. Things are possible that weren't possible even 40 years ago because there, they didn't have uh, what you see here now. There wasn't the communication. There, there wasn't all this. There wasn't, you know, you could just go out. People grew, went out and grew their food 100 years ago. They were self-sufficient. Nobody does that now that I know of. Maybe some of the farmers. My neighbor behind me says to me, he says, you know what? He says, I don't care what happens. He says, I know how to farm. He says, and I know how to can, and I know how to make my food. He says, and I don't care how bad things get. He says, I can always put a seed in the ground, and I'll make it. <laughs> well, see, that thinking is totally lost on 99.9% .9 of the people. People can't even grow. Most people, or a lot of people, can't even grow stuff. I mean, they, they couldn't be sufficient. If the grocery store was closed for four months, would see how, you know, in the summer, would see how sufficient we, we really were and see how dependent we are. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that it's different than it was 100 years ago. That's my point. 100 years ago, they could never exercise control over the people because the people weren't, I'll do my work or let somebody else do all that to provide for me. No, people went out and they did things that made them more self-sufficient. Now, don't go off on this and say, well, I'm going to do that now. It's not going to change anything. The point is that they have control, and they, the world system can exercise control over you. I found out that I am one paycheck away from disaster, financial disaster. I don't get paid for one, one week, and it's like, whoa, where's my grocery money? You know, I need this, I need that, well, you know. We are so dependent upon these things. And if they're taken, we're in trouble very quickly. Won't take long. Won't take long at all. So there is in the world system this area now where someone can come in and exercise great dominion. And it's growing. That's just the starting. We're in the beginnings of this. This is going to filter out throughout the entire world. And, and very few areas won't be affected. And you think, well, if I was living on you know, the Amazon River in Peru, I wouldn't be affected. Well, you may not be as affected as here in this society, but they, they have their boats, and their boats have gas. I mean, some of them don't, but I'm just saying, 
there, there is a, an area of control most places, most places, very few places. So, so this w world control would probably be the majority of the world, maybe pockets here and there where there, there isn't, but it'll be just vast in a, in a way never experienced by man. So do we have the godly view, true and righteous are thy judgments, and say, well, Lord, if you're going to pour out your vials on the sea and the rivers, I believe that true and just are your judgments because I trust in you, I have faith in you, and you see what we don't see. If, um, if we see the seven seals, we start to see that. Can we say, Lord, you shouldn't be doing that? Or can we say, true and righteous are your judgments? How much do we really trust in his integrity? Or do we get thrown in a loop because we see some suffering and we think it shouldn't be? Well, I don't understand it, but I don't need to. I'm just a little puny little thing in the large scheme of things. And my understanding of the entire workings of man and the world and the universe is limited. Less than one-tenth of one percent. Not even that much. We, we know nothing compared to God. We really don't. So how can we sit and judge him? He, you do, oh, that's not right. You shouldn't do that. People do it all the time. I had a, a fellow say in the workplace, he, he was mad because of something that happened, some suffering that someone in his family had to go through. And he was vehement. You know, he was screaming, you know what... What God spells backward, that's what he is. That's how people, that's how they, they view it. Because they can't accept, because they don't have faith in God, they don't know him, they don't see, they can't see past the present suffering or whatever is going on there. So the times to, that come may be different than we thought. Don't let that throw you. Don't let that make you faithless. Don't let your heart shrink, but just square your shoulders and say, I'm a child of God, and I'm walking with him, and he'll do what he needs to do, and I'll do what I need to do. And that's the end of it. And, and you know, I don't know how you, you hear these stories um, in some of these communist countries or some of these countries where they persecute Christians and they walk into church with a gun. Say, okay, put the gun to the pastor's head. Now, what are you going to do? Well, they shoot the pastor. Well, that's okay. You can shoot him. I'm in few. I'm safe. Okay, who's next in line? Okay, well, I guess I'm next in line. Put the gun to my head. See, see we have to be determined in our, in our heart. Now, I'm not saying that that would happen. Most of the time, the church goes underground, and God continues. But the point is, it's like take to hull. He has the um, Maoists who want to kill him. Kill him. They've, they've been after him. He came to the church here. He, he left the country and was here in, in um, Pennsylvania here with us for two months. Afraid, to, not afraid, but I guess he's concerned about going home because they were going to kill him because he's more or less the apostle to the country. He's, he's the, the main, the top man, and you would never know it by looking at the guy. Never know it. He's the, the man that goes and they have meetings for pastors. He has how many churches under him? And he goes and he teaches and teaches from church to church to 
and has meetings and group, groups of pastors come. Well, the Maoists think that Christianity is a threat and they want to kill him. So they go through these phases that they, they were after him and then lightens up. When things lighten up, then he went back home. But he, he, he has said that he, he wished he was done with his life. So much pressure's on the guy. So next time he comes, be very kind to him. So, you know, I don't, I've never experienced that. None of us here have. But that's not to say that we won't experience something, that we've had it good. So don't be upset if some things happen and we don't understand it. We move into this great pressure. Don't be concerned. I mean, it's not going to be pleasant, but we'll be able to make it. Now, tonight, like I said, was kind of like an outline to show you this because this division here between great tribulation and the wrath of God is the key to understanding all the middle chapters in the book of Revelation. If you've never understood any of that, now take this. Maybe I'll make some copies for you. Would that be okay? I'll make some copies, and you can keep them. And when you have chance, sit down and begin to read these chapters again. And what I did was, I like to write in my Bible, I underlined all the areas for the seven seals, the, the um, seven trumpets, the seven vials, and then go back now and read through those chapters, and you'll start to see the difference here between the Great Tribulation and, and the wrath of God. The reason why people sometimes view Re Revelation the way they do is because they don't see the division between both of them. You see the division, you see it's there. These, these parallel chapters here, chapter 8 and 16, are, are just so clear when you read them side by side. That's why I wanted you to get two Bibles there and hold them and just read one to the other, one to the other. You see that they're, they're parallel. It's very, very clear to me. So now, armed with that, you should be able to understand a little more of what's going on in Revelation. Not that we'll understand it all, but you'll get more of a grasp of what's happening here in the middle part of the book. Now, next week, uh, we'll continue. I don't know what we're going to do next week, um, but we'll continue in Revelation somewhere. Water, he that believeth,